Hello, this is episode 101 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Today I'll be joined by my friend Wes B. from my home group, We Agnostics Kansas City, and we'll be speaking with Bill W. No, not that Bill W., another Bill W., about his new book, 12 Secular Steps, an Addiction Recovery Guide. This is John, and I'm here with uh, Bill W., who has written a book uh, called The 12 Secular Steps. Uh, Bill has come back from the grave to rewrite the steps in a secular <laughs> language. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> How you You're doing? welcome. <laughs> and also with me is Wes, uh, who is from my home group, We Agnostics. And uh, Wes, how you doing? Hey, doing fine. Thanks, John. Oh, man, you sound good on the radio or <laughs> on the podcast. You have a radio voice. Put oh, it that I way. have a radio voice indeed. You do? <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, we're, gonna, we're here to talk about Bill's book. Um, I read the book, and it's fantastic. Um, the title, again, is 12 Secular Steps, an Addiction Recovery Guide. Um, it kind of came along at just the right time uh, because I was actually thinking about starting a secular step study here in Kansas City. And um, I thought I was going to have to write the curriculum myself. And then uh, I got an email from Bill uh, telling me about his book. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic. <laughs> so I bought a bunch of them. And uh, thank you, Bill. Uh, why don't we start? Um, can you give us the story behind writing the book? Actually, the story behind it is that it started out as just a a pile of notes um and it had to do with sponsoring and to to help um newcomers who had expressed an interest in in working uh, a secular program um how they could go about doing that and you, you need a literature for that you need the right words that that so that that path becomes clear and so i i, I was especially interested in how to get the first 90 days and, um, and to, to remove any, any sort of need to try to, to try to make a, uh, a conscious contact with something supernatural. I thought that that's, that's not a practical way to, to start to get sober today. And also, I, another important feature was for, for the newcomer to, to see this as, um, I have a role in this. I have a responsibility. In, in doing something active today so that I can remain sober today. From that, I started, I had an interest. It, addiction biology is, is not my area, but I am a biologist, and I was reading more and more biology, and it, and it became clear to me that the foundation for a secular 12-step program should be grounded in in the biology. It really informs us a, a lot about um, what we're up against, and and in, informs us a lot about uh, some of the elements that are, that our our solution should have. And so that grew from just kind of practical notes to putting it on a, a biological foundation, and um, and then in the last half of the book. It, it gets practical once once again on on how to do an early phase, the goal of which is ninety days sober, and then to to start um, a later phase of reconstructing ourselves as 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 a person uh, to kind of undo the damage um, 
that ad- so many years of addiction uh, does to us. And if we hold on to that damage, we, we live dysfunctionally. And dysfunctional living builds stress. And stress over time is going to make us perhaps want to look at our old solution. So I, I would say that's a pretty good wrap-up of how, how it came about. Now, you begin the book with a brief history of the 12, of the original 12 steps and how, how they came about. And I thought it was good that you did that. Um, why do you think that was important? And can you kind of go into a little bit of that history for the listeners who might not know much about how the steps started and why they're written the way they were so, so religiously? Oh, sh- sure. Um, to understand the steps in the way they're, they're written, um, and with the, well, he, we need to go back to 1939 and the beginning of AA with Bill Wilson and uh, Dr. Bob Smith. Um, they met. Um, Bill Wilson had had been introduced to the Oxford group and um, it first got sober in the Oxford group. The Oxford group is a Christian evangelical group. And two things happened there. Bill Wilson was saved. And Bill Wilson was introduced to a fellowship. And this fellowship allowed him to get outside of himself, to get active in, in service. And so at that time, when Bill Wilson and, and Dr. Bob Smith got together and Bill helped um, Dr. Bob get sober, they, they went on to help other alcoholics and AA was born. And out of the the original hundred founders, many of them were Oxford Group members. So they had this Christian evangelical background in common. So it makes sense that when they wrote the the program down and, and formalized it, that they would in, include that um, in their program. And it's certainly uh, very pronounced in the steps themselves. Now, fast forward to to 2018. <laughs> There's there's problems. There's a bit of a conflict in that the the steps really have um, literally as are as are written two independent goals. One is a practical pathway for for an addict or alcoholic to to get sober, and the other is a not so practical pathway of getting saved. <laughs> and I I just felt like the the secular the practical pathway is really what's essential. And it, it's what we need when we first come in to do today, to get us sober today. Um, the, the religious part needs to be optional, really, to meet the diversity of, of people who suffer with addiction and who are looking for a solution. And so in, in looking at that, I, I, it just clicked to me um, that we need to separate religion from recovery and we need the secular words to do that and so it's a secular adaptation i fully acknowledge that secular recovery is not unique it is not original the 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 first hundred the founders they came up with a very practical program um alongside of this evangelism that they also had with them and that that's when we look at just that portion of it we can come up with a framework, um, an essential framework, and then leave it up to the individual to add their religious beliefs. And Wes, I know that you, um, your background with AA when you first started out was similar to mine, and that it was a very, really kind of a traditional 
um, approach. I mean, you went through the steps and everything. So um, how do you feel about the steps as Bill wrote them? And do, do they kind of, do they kind of hit it for you? Well, I, I believe that uh, personally, I'm a, I'm an atheist. Um, I, w- I was brought up uh, in the traditional uh, steps. I was brought up uh, in very uh, religious Florida conservative groups. Uh, in fact, uh, you were not allowed to speak unless you had six months of sobriety, uh, which I found just very disturbing because as as we spoke about a bit before the podcast, those who are new to the program are, I always say, closer to the hell. And their thoughts, views, opinions should not be abandoned, discarded. Um, the the God portion of the steps, uh, as, as Bill said, and I, I like that, that he used the term optional, okay? So I'm not saying it should be discarded. It should be optional for those who value it uh, and use it and become sober with it. More power to them, but it should be optional. Uh, in, in my view, it's sort of similar to the separation of church and state. Um, uh, Bill, in his book, has 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 laid out a practical, like he said, framework uh, to sobriety: small, incremental, logical, reasonable steps towards sobriety. Uh, and I, I believe that when you're new to sobriety, you need you need something tangible. So you you need rather than to wait for this gleaming light to shine down on you, uh, and, and, and you, you need to be making logical steps forward. Um, and Bill has laid that out beautifully in this book. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, I, what I, what I liked about your steps is, um, in particular steps two and three, which I, in my opinion, you got exactly right because too many people, even when they try to interpret the steps in a secular way, they focus too much on that higher power part. You know, what is my higher power as an atheist, you know, whereas what you're looking at is what actually happens in the practical thing. Uh, because what happens really in step two, in my opinion, is we get hope. We get hope that there's 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 a solution for us. And in step three, so many people seem to forget this, but the key word in there is decision. We make a decision, don't we? Yes, we do. Um, what I had to say about step three, sometimes I can get rather um, wordy and long-winded, <laughs> <Go ahead>. and <laughs> I am an academic. <laughs> and uh, all I had to say about step three really was that once you make a decision, there there really is only one way to know that you made a decision, and that and that's the actions that you that you see that you actually go through. Because in step three, it becomes real. <laughs> it is uh, if not now, when in in, in steps we two, one, two, and three, we we come to a realization, and it is faith for for everyone faith. And hope play a part. For me, I realized in early, in very early recovery that my faith was going to be in a plan. And the the better I understood that plan, the more faith I would have in it. Without faith, before I I had that faith, I was I felt like I had no foundation. Um, I it, I just step one gave me the realization that um, I. I said it in in the book. Uh, I'm screwed, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I really well was, and I, I I knew that I was, and and until I really looked at the program in a, in a different way and thought I I can adapt this program, this can be my plan, and I can put my faith in in the plan. 
then I've found a foundation. It and foundation along with that foundation of faith came motivation. Yeah, I can I can this might work. Um and that hope and then what do you do from there? You you dive right in. I've always thought about those first three steps as um kind of like experiences that happen to us, you know, and I think that even the the founders when they wrote those steps, they were just trying to describe you know, what naturally happens to an alcoholic when they hit bottom and they reach out for help. You know, there's that feeling of powerlessness. It's the coming to believe that there's got to be hope for me and then making a decision to make some changes in, in, in one's life. Um, so I, I think that like when I, when I went to my very first AA meeting, I was, I was experiencing all three of those steps at that point. You know, I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew I, I believed that there was hope for me in AA and I made a decision to start going to meetings. But I've always said that um, having that experience is one thing, but understanding the experience and maybe, um, I don't know, understanding the experience and how you can use that experience in other areas of your life is what I have found useful. So like when you go into your book and you start talk, you start, you wrote about, you know, those, those three steps and you have actually practical things that people can do with regard to those steps. Yes. It's not um, all that traditional to do a step one inventory. And I did one and it, I found it immensely useful. Um, to build motivation. And, um, and that is one thing that I, I thought, um, when, when the step one is complete enough, step two and three will, will happen more quickly. Yeah. And, it, and they do need to be linked kind of bing, bam, boom in, in a row. So I, I wrote about with, uh, the first three steps doing a step one inventory. I have some reservations about that because we're, we're looking at the past, the worst things in the past. Um, and we need to be careful, uh, doing that ourselves or guiding someone through that because looking at the past for, for me, there were times, um, in my f first 90 days where I would look at these patterns and think I'm worthless. Um, I'm a horrible person and re really that's, that's not the purpose of it. And, and this is the importance of having going through it, not alone, but with others who can say, no, that that's not the purpose. The purpose is to realize that you have, um, a disease, a condition, it's addiction. And this is what it's doing. You can measure the strength of it by looking at this inventory of the, the, the things that you've done, but you it was important because my sponsor said to me, you wouldn't have chosen to do this had, had you been sober, had you been your, your best self. So realize that, uh, that we're not measuring your self-worth here. We're measuring why you're in the right place and you're doing the right thing. And then, you know, that progression leads to now let's do the right thing and tackle this. And Wes, I know that you work with people a lot um, and with the steps and so forth. How, how do you kind of approach those those three steps uh, from as an atheist? Well, gosh, uh, I, first of all, I think hitting bottom, as as was just alluded to, hitting bottom can be very motivational. Um, as Bill said in his book, suffering can take you part of the way and reason can carry you the rest. Of Early recovery sucks, right? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> um, as he said in the book. Uh I like to stress, uh, here's another portion of the book that I really liked. There are rewards headed your way that you can't even imagine or list now. Just stay the course and find out what they are. So one of the things that I like to stress to my sponsees is when you stop putting 
daily roadblocks in your own way, progress just occurs naturally. Um, and the, the, pract- the practical approach, which is uh, one of the two portions of, of the big book, there's this personal salvation and then there's the, the practical approach. The practical approach is laid out perfectly. It's perfectly clear. Uh, most of my sponsees already know and, 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 and admit they are addicts. They are alcoholics. Um, but it's, it's, it's all about what I've noticed is it's all about hitting bottom. That is the motive. That is the main motivating factor. And that's what will generally propel a sponsee forward is I've had enough of this. Mm-hmm. And Bill, uh, b- about half of your book, um, because you do have a biology background, but half of your book talks about the biology of addiction, the science of addiction. And, um, and I, and I, I personally, I find that helpful. I, for me, it, when I understand something, it, it takes the, the fear out of it. It takes the stigma out of it. Um, I used to be afraid of airplane turbulence until I understood how planes fly. <laughs> so it's like, um, I think it helps. Can you go into that a little bit? Can you explain the biology of addiction as you wrote it in your book and how you tie that in with, you know, um, with what Wes was just talking about, you know, that whole process of hitting bottom and, and, and starting to make changes and so forth? Yes. I, I do. I agree with you that uh, I think the understanding the biology helps a lot of people and removes the, the stigma and re- removes that feeling that you hear the comments a lot that why don't they just say no? Why don't they use their willpower and everything? And, and once you understand the biology, you understand that that's um, not the, the question to ask. And I, I, I started out that chapter um, by, by saying that uh, we, we use alcohol and drugs because they work. <laughs> they do their job very well. Um, I go on to uh, saying that addiction and the, the initial use is very rewarding. And um, it, it is. The, we have a reward center in in the middle of our brain, the area called the limbic system. And um, it is responsible for producing the experience that we call pleasure. All the drugs that people get addicted to, alcohol is a, is a drug as well, they can magnify the, the effect of uh, a chemical called dopamine that is responsible from, for turning the reward center from an off state to an on state. So it just follows that you take a drug, take a drink, that that chemical is going to get in the bloodstream, it's going to hit the reward center, it's going to release dopamine, the reward center goes from off to on, and our feelings change. It's all about feelings. That's why we. That's why we drink. It's not the. It's not the flavor. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly not yeah. the hangover. <laughs> and um, we are set up uh, in a, in a way. I I now look at um, the the human machine as a, a bit robotic, on, on a subconscious level. When pleasure is experienced, whatever caused that experience, the behavior, the taking of a, of a drink or a drug. We are learning on a subconscious level. It's called operant conditioning. That was good. And if there's a reward, as we tend to repeat the behavior that, that is linked to the reward, um, punishment has the, the opposite effect. 
And so that's operant conditioning. Reward a behavior, it will tend to be repeated. Punish a behavior, it will be avoided. That's hitting bottom. It's actually all, all about <laughs> that side of the equation. But that may be 40 years off. <laughs> At first, it's all going to be reward. Um, because it's a learning process over time, that the and these rewards from from drug it all depends on on the drug these rewards are quite large we also get rewards as as we're growing up from from uh as social their social behaviors and if sharing for for example for when we're younger children and we're in a group and we're we're selfish or grabbing everybody's toys, when likely an adult is is going to say stop that or in in some way discourage it and we'll avoid it. And when we share, it will be rewarded. Our playmates will reward us, parents will reward us. So we we learn to become less selfish. Um, that's a little dopamine reward that we're learning from. IV heroin, crack cocaine, that's a larger reward than any, any natural behavior is going to do, including, um, sex or so, um, any social behavior is not going to have that big of a reward. We, we live in a world really, um, that, that's kind of challenging <laughs> from an evolutionary point of view. So if you keep, if, if that reward, that behavior keeps repeating, these large dopamine rewards keep occurring, uh, over time, a new drive. We have a, it's, um, a, a drive is something, a programming built into us that, that keeps us engaged in behaviors and seeking um, rewards. We have a food drive, a thirst drive, a social drive. We can get an, an addictive drive over time. You can tell when that happens because the other, it will outcompete the other drives. And normal social behavior, as, as that drive withers, we're not engaged that much with with our friends who aren't addicts um, or with family. We're not doing well at school. All all those drives go by the wayside, and one drive becomes the emperor of all drives and begins to take over our our life. And you can you can see this um, once that addictive drive happens. The person is reprogrammed, changed. They're an addict, and the the, the machinery. The limbic system and everything it is the machinery of willpower. A lot of times, with a uh, a person who's obviously an addict, everyone knows it. Uh, many around will say, "Why doesn't this person just use their willpower? Stop, reverse this. They, why are they not the 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 consequences get worse, and they just seem the the addiction gets deeper in response. That it, it looks like insanity and." It, it must understand that this is the machinery of willpower. Addicts do have a lot of willpower. Lock them up, mm, take away the car, right. <laughs> take away the money. They will still find right. that drink or that drug. Yes. And yeah. now, it, we, now we look at willpower and we understand. Ah, for, and it is. It is a, a little bit. Um, I understand it a little bit. Looking at like programming a robot and. And uh, I feel like that by the time I was hitting bottom, I was a drug and alcohol seeking robot. That was what my life was all about. And finally, the consequences got so bad, like I said, with the operant conditioning, the reward, now the punishment <laughs> side comes along. And I wanted to start there. I was conflicted. I 
even Bill Wilson describes, we hit we hit a point where we can no longer live with it or without it, and we're ready at that point. But we can't do it by ourselves at that point either. And, and so, it, hopefully, at that point, we at, we reach out for help. Bill, when you refer to yourself as a, a, a drug and alcohol seeking robot, I tended to refer to myself uh, as an internal combustion engine that required fuel. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, I truly needed if I, uh, uh, because of, and I, I always tell my sponsees, look, if you're socially anxious, like if you have depression, alcohol works. It works. It works. The problem is you develop a tolerance. Need more, more of it. Then the only result is you will end up in jail or the hospital or whatever. Because at one point I needed a fifth of vodka a day and 200 milligrams of oxycodone just to run my engine. That's that's what I required. And when you're when you're drinking huge amounts of alcohol, the withdrawal is such that you cannot walk downstairs. You cannot drive a car. You have to drink just to. Uh, as I say, level out. Yes. Yeah, it does become a maintenance thing. Um, another thing I like about your book <clears throat> is um, when you when you go into the recovery process, after you talk about, you know, the biology of addiction and how it works so that, that the reader understands that, you talk about um, the recovery process in three phases. And you break, you break the steps down into these, these three phases. And you reference that to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Which I was joking with you about. It's like the only thing I remembered from psychology class, <laughs> but but it was it was actually helpful to me because I remember that when when I was in recovery, I mean I I I I might not have gone down that far physically, but I had nothing. I had no, I, you know, I had to worry about first of my first priorities was stay out of jail, put food on the table, keep a roof over my head. I had those basic needs that I needed to meet, and so. You know, it, I, I was not in a position to do a moral inventory at that point or anything like that. That my needs were that were that basic, and I think that it was just ingenious of you to look at that whole recovery process along with those hierarchy of needs because it gives you a way of understanding where you're at, having goals of where you want to be, and also of measuring your your, your progress. And I wonder if you might want to expand a little bit upon about those phases of recovery and like, you know, the length of time and whatever, and, and how you know that you're going through those phases. Okay. Yeah. I'll start with the, in Maslow's hierarchy needs, there, there are five hierarchies and, um, at the foundation, there there are two, which is safety and physiological needs. And we come in, and it's it's imperative that we establish abstinence. You know, there's a um, a positive feedback loop when when addiction has has really embedded itself and and has progressed. If we if we have a drink or a drug, it's, it's over. Um, we, we've lost control and some will stop when some outside influence forces us to stop. We run out of money, wreck the car, get arrested. And this, this period of, our, of abstinence really, we recommend 90 days, do 90 and 90 and just focus on steps one, two, and three. But it's probably... For most of us, I I think it was about six months for me before I wasn't as they they say in a lot of meetings toxic, <laughs> and I I could 
begin to to think straight. You know, reconstructing ourselves as um, as a person that that phase we need to be able to think about things, to analyze things, and that's not what the what the first phase of sobriety is about. That's not what and and I liked Maslow's hierarchy because our foundation. That's not what our foundation is about. Most of those needs are based in the primitive part of our brain that is subconscious. It's it's not a reasoning part of our brain. Um, it's an emotional part, and uh, the the upper hierarchies are really all about how we deal with the world, love and belonging, self esteem, our purpose in life. Uh, is the 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 top of the hierarchy would be um, self actualization. I, I think of that as our purpose in life. These are much higher, you know, much higher levels that are going to take um, really more work. And we need at least, I think, a three to six month foundation to where physiologically we've, we've returned to, to normal. And a lot of, a lot of times it's, it's not just when we're intoxicated. Our, our way of life goes into, the the 24 or 48 hours when we're not under the in direct influence of a blood level as well we're we're still addicts we're still reprogrammed that way so yeah the steps 4 through 9 is is about reconstructing once we've cleaned ourselves up and um the, the important structure to those processes is um taking inventory taking inventory of our of our um, first of of our transgressions, really, and and seeing why, what is it? And and this comes from the Oxford group, that the Oxford group first identified that many of our problems, much of our, of our stress, our transgressions, get back to uh, selfishness and fear. And this is just a, a, seems to me, a universal truth. And for many of us, selfishness, fear, and personal problems existed before we found alcohol and drug and and the the stress of living dysfunctionally like that we were self-medicating certainly if that's not the case 20 years of of addiction and alcoholism will erode away our character so everyone comes to this phase where they need to reconstruct and through these inventories we see how these defects of character have have come in and dominated how we socialize, how we function. We identify them, we, we begin to replace them with positive values. We, we become responsible. We learn to live by the golden rule. Uh, we just learn to, to combine that abstinence, don't drink or use no matter what today, and we add, just be a decent person today, and there will be a lot less stress in your life, and this will help you to maintain a, a longer sobriety. Then we get to the a final phase where we can find we can add to that purpose. Maybe our our purpose is to sponsor, or maybe we may find purpose through our work or through something that that uh, ten years ago we we had no idea. Perhaps activism or something. So I pro I was probably a little bit long winded on that one. That's great. And you know, um, at the very end, I like the way that you know you you wind up step twelve is basically you know I've grown up. Yes. So what was your thoughts, Wes, as you're reading through the nuts and bolts of the steps as he was describing them in, in his book? Well, what I was going to say is uh, the general goal of identifying our, our, our defects um, is growing up. 
I know that uh, that's part of my my personal self-actualization. I'm only a year and a half into this, but I've noticed a major difference. Uh, you know, when I hit one year, some of these more complex aspects have become modifiable or adjustable. I can I can actually start working now. Now that I've been away from substances, um, I can actually start working on growing up, which I have, by the way, failed to do <laughs> uh, profoundly. Uh, so I, I was in rehab and I, I identified 26 defects of character. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and as, as Bill said in the book, it, most, most of those come down to self-centeredness. And when we're drinking, when we're using, we're A, escaping reality. B, we're heightening our own ego artificially. C, we're, we're, we're self-medicating. We found a magic potion that it worked really well. Um, but over time, it takes you and um, and takes your takes your friends, takes your character, takes your job, takes your freedom, takes your everything. Um, so long term, like like Bill said in the book, the goal is to grow up. And you know, even in in the twelve and twelve, uh, Bill Wilson writes about you know steps six and seven in particular. He describes them as character building. Now everybody focuses on the God part <laughs> that God <laughs> is taking your character's uh, defects away and so forth. But it's really funny if you for anyone who's been to enough AA meetings, usually when they talk about steps six and seven, people say that God hasn't taken their character defects away. Well, like, they, they, they don't have a clue. What? Well, why is that not happening? <laughs> but, but Wait, where's God? <laughs> should have been here yesterday. But that, that seems to be the whole focus. But the, but but the focus really should be on the building of character, I think, and and actions that that we can take. Oh, I did want to get back to the uh, the word has come in about growing up, and I do. I don't want that to be misconstrued. I, I did say in the um, in the beginning of chapter three that uh, I would I wouldn't come up to an addict and say your problem is you you need to grow up, just grow up. No, if a person um, who suffered a stroke was not walking correctly or not move, was unable to use their left arm, I wouldn't go up to them and say, you should, you should stop that and just walk and talk and move like an adult. Um, it, it really, there's a, there's a pathology in both cases. The, the brain has been changed um, in both cases physically. And both in both cases, I believe that there's a rehabilitative, a a logical rehabilitative process can can undo that. And for me, that that's the purpose of steps four through nine. Um, the limbic system, once the addictive drive has been established, the limbic system, which is where we find the fight or flight and other high voltage systems, um, will take over. And and our our higher functioning does wither, and th this is chemistry. This is physiological, and the limbic lifestyle is one that is not reasoned. It's emotional, and and it's certainly not based on on consequences to ourselves or to others. And and we need to look at that and to to work with that through a rehabilitative process. So I am I'm careful. I don't I don't want to demean addicts at all but on the other hand growing up is our original programming <laughs> and, and it is it, and and steps four through nine uh resemble growing up it's more than resemble growing up we we do need a period where as part of recovery 
where we learn once again to um, to kind of recognize when we're when we're reacting reacting. And I guess another <laughs> way to look reasoning. at it is just advancing along those hierarchy of needs and becoming actualized, self-actualized in some yes. way. Yes, and and to bring reason uh, over reactiveness and emotional Im- impulsive because that's kind of a universal characteristic of someone deep in their addiction. We do, at least I was, you know, impulsive, self-centered, and really seeking, I want to feel good today. I want, I want to I just want to have that, and I want it right now. Uh. So, Wes, what, what's your overall um, impression of, of of all of this? Of, I'm kind of interested in that. You know, the the how useful do you think this book will be? Uh, I've I've read a bunch of recovery uh, books. I find this one uh, particularly appealing because it is based on actionable steps. Right? It it it's it's based on uh, logic, reason. It's concise. It takes the God out of it. It takes the, it takes the, I'm waiting for something to fix me out of it and says simply, here are some steps we can take to, to repair. Um, uh, going back to what you guys were just talking about, I see a lot of young addicts and alcoholics whose families are mystified that their sons or daughters don't have the quote willpower to, to fix their problem. Uh, families ap- approach, um, addiction which is not a logical condition. Uh, they approach it with logic and say, well, if we provide this or if we do this, we put a, a, a roof over our, our son, then that will fix him. But addiction is not um, logical. Um, but as Bill said, if you, if you can get through 30, 60, hopefully 90 days, then you can start the process. And of all, of all the books... Uh, I'm plug you here, Bill. <laughs> of, of all of all the books I've read, this is my this is my absolute uh, favorite one because it cuts through the BS, it gets right to the point, and um, uh, it's it it's logical. Um, uh, and I like that it 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 says things like early recovery sucks. Right. It's it's it, it, it's it's true. It's um it's not preachy, and it's and it's it's honest about just how difficult this is. And I think it leaves room for everybody, too. I mean, uh, regardless of what one's belief system is. And even amongst atheists, you know, there's a lot of diversity amongst atheists themselves, you know, how they approach this. Some atheists, like me, I, I don't really have any use for spirituality, but others do, you know, and you have room for that in here. And I think, like, um, I know what I was going to say, what I was thinking about when I kind of got di- diverted in my own brain, is um, I pay attention to language a lot nowadays. Because I, I understand that um, all, all these steps are is trying to explain what's happening to us and that that the language that I use is very different than what the language of a millennial, millennial uses. And I'm surprised sometimes that when people come in and, and they'll hear a word that doesn't mean doesn't phase me, but to them it means something else. For example, and you use this word, character defects. A lot of people say, God, there's, I'm defective. There's something wrong with me. You know, like I'm some kind of, you know, there's, I'm a bad person or something like that. But when you actually go through what you were writing about, you talk about character building, character building. There's nothing wrong with that. And when I was looking at these steps originally, I was focusing on that character building part, but I just think of these, 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 um, defects as nothing more than traits that I have that I'd like to change, that I'd like to improve. Yeah. I, Kind of tend to look at it as programming now. Yeah, <laughs> computer programming. Like yes, our, and we're, yeah, we're there were some. 
There was some coding that was a bit <laughs> off. Let's go back. <laughs> That's a good way of <laughs> Yeah, let's let's go back and correct those. W- one thing about the diversity that that I realized while writing this book, I was I was thinking about what what is different that a person of faith does from from someone who's more secular, a- atheist or a- agnostic. And and it it's, it used to puzzle me a while back about um, faith and connection to God. And when people say God is doing this, God is doing that, it, you know, active intervention is God. I thought, that doesn't sound right. How do they get to, I realize, I know how a, a secular humanist gets to the values that we need the, of faith, hope, love, um, justice, accountability. Does God get in their head and say i i said in a meeting one time i'm a little bit scared of people <laughs> who hear a second voice uh, and uh because it never tells them oh it'd be a good idea to do those dishes or <laughs> it's always want to kill everyone in the room seems to <laughs> and i i realized no it, because the um and i'll say christians most of the time in dealing with AA in the United States, we are, we are, this is the, the religion, the God we're looking at is a Christian God. They, we're not supposed to say that, but it is. <laughs> anyway, the, I know many Christians who, who I admire and I know that they don't have another voice in their head. And I, I realize, but they do have a teacher and, and I, they're getting these very same values where the secular person reaches it through reason, perhaps philosophy. The Christian gets it through a great teacher, but we get to the same place. And it's, a, it's the same answer to the, character, to the same character defects. We're not all that different at all. And in, I found um, in my early recovery, I, it was in a large city, that, that people of faith and people who were more secular in their outlook worked together all the time. They were very accepting of each other. And so I didn't. I just wanted to to get to that, and that's at the heart of step six and, and seven is is getting in touch with those values and incorporating, re reprogramming right. ourselves right with those. Well, this has really been an interesting discussion. Let's, um, uh, Wes. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to? Um... Well, going back to what Bill said, I I personally uh, resent the notion that religion has a monopoly on morality. Uh, I think that morality is easily derived from logic and reason um, and sort of, uh, well, Richard Dawkins <laughs> says it more eloquently, but, but basically we can, we can all be tolerant and loving without, without religion. And um, one of the things that I value about our particular AA group is that we accept everyone. Um, whereas in some traditional groups, uh, Atheists like myself are not particularly <laughs> tolerated. Uh, so I think, I think tolerance, uh, which is part of Bill's book, tolerance is absolutely key uh, because we want everyone to recover. Uh, we don't want the Muslim, the Jew, wh- whomever to, to, to hear the Lord's prayer at the end of a meeting right. and be, and be scared and be scared that they're not welcome. Everyone should be welcome and we should, it should totally tolerant. Right. Well, um, I, I want to thank you, Bill, for, for writing the book, first of all, and for letting me know about it. Um, like I said, uh, it came at just the right time for me and for our group. 
Um, I think Kansas City is going to be a test market for you. <laughs> the book has been pretty well distributed. <laughs> and uh, I'm actually thinking I'm going to start a step study and use your book, you know. So, um, well, I uh, want to thank you for the the support that I received on this this book. It was uh, I was telling my friend that it, it it's actually kind of humbling um, when when I heard people talk and we're speaking in at an AA meeting and it was my book being passed around. I, I, for him, I thought, Oh geez, I hope I got it right. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not going to be responsible for well, Bill, anything I did find, going wrong. I did find four typos. <laughs> four typos. Yes. I'll come okay. To That's uh, I can take care of those defects <laughs> in a second edition. <laughs> All right. Thanks everybody. I appreciate it. And that concludes another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, hey, to learn more about Bill's book, uh, visit his website, 12secularsteps.com. That's 12 as in the number 12, 12, secularsteps.com.